Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 151 with Liz Solomon Dwyer. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. Hey everyone, it's Chris. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this. So this week, I'm talking breakfast tacos with Liz Solomon Dwyer. She's the founder of King David Tacos. She's an Austin, Texas native. I guess breakfast tacos are something big down there. Unfortunately, I was in Austin back in April, but didn't have any breakfast tacos. Seems like a big miss on my part, but Uh, we had COVID and we weren't really going out much, but I digress. So Liz moved from Austin to New York City, where she wanted to start her own breakfast taco business. What started as a drop-off catering business grew to two food carts, bringing breakfast tacos to the people of New York City. But then she was able to grow it to what's over now 50 locations, Her tacos can be found at retail partners like Whole Foods and Stumptown, as well as their relatively new brick-and-mortar location. Now, if you know me, you know that I love tacos. So I want to talk about, obviously, tacos, what makes a good breakfast taco. We discuss corn versus flour tortillas. We talk about the challenges of hot-holding eggs and working with retail partners. But I also wanted to talk about building and growing her business. How do you scale from two carts to over 50 locations in just a handful of years? Was this something that was intentional? Had she planned it out? And we talk about something that I'm a really big believer in, which is sticking to a vision. I think it's really easy to get caught up in doing a little of everything. Obviously, if something's not working out, you probably need to change or pivot. But Liz has been doing a great job with the breakfast tacos, and she's really stuck to her guns when it comes to only making breakfast tacos. She's not going down the road of doing, you know, more traditional lunch and dinner tacos, which she probably could do. She's firmly dedicated to making the best breakfast tacos and sticking with that. She also doesn't do made-to-order, even if you go to her brick-and-mortar. Everything's made and ready to go. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you love the show, please go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org where you can find more info. You can link up to our Instagram, which I would love it if you followed us. By us, I mean me. As well as links to our private Facebook group, where we're there to help food entrepreneurs build and grow their food businesses. And you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. All of that is at chefswithoutrestaurants.org. And I'd love it if you also supported our sponsors. One is the United States Personal Chef Association, and the other is Vosti Knives. So the show will be coming up right after word from this week's sponsors. Over the past 27 years, the world of the personal chef has grown in importance to fulfill the dining needs of consumers. 
While the pandemic certainly upended the restaurant experience, it provided an avenue for personal chefs to close that dining gap. Central to all of that is the United States Personal Chef Association. Representing nearly a thousand chefs around the U.S. and Canada, and even Italy, USPCA provides a strategic backbone for those chefs that includes liability insurance, training, communications, certification, and more. It's a reassurance to consumers that the chef coming into their home is prepared to offer them an experience along with their meal. One of the big upcoming events for the USPCA is their annual conference scheduled for July 7th through 10th at the Hyatt Regency in Sarasota, Florida. Featuring a host of speakers and classes, the conference allows chefs to hone their skills and network with like-minded business people and is open to all chefs in the industry. For those who supply the industry, it's a chance to reach decision makers and the actual buyers of products. This will be the first time back following the COVID lockdowns and the chefs are anxious to connect. And right now, Chefs Without Restaurants listeners can use promo code CWR50 to save $50 on registration. Please contact Angela at A-P-R-A-T-H-E-R at USPCA.com for information on becoming a member, attending the conference, or exhibiting. And as always, all this info will be in the show notes. Are you looking for top quality kitchen knives? Well, look no further than Vosteed. With over two decades of experience, Vosteed knives are durable, well-balanced, and comfortable to use. You'll find that these knives have a razor-sharp edge, robust and strong full-tang construction, and perfectly engineered ergonomics. These high-carbon steel blades will definitely get the job done in the kitchen. And right now, you can use discount code VOSTEED15 to get 15% off your order. That's V-O-S-T-E-E-D-1-5. And as always, the links are in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Hey, Liz, how's it going? Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Good. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Tacos are my favorite thing. If anyone has heard the show before, I talk about tacos quite a bit, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about tacos. All I do is, is talk about tacos, so I'm your gal. <laughs> well, let's jump right into it. Why tacos and specifically breakfast tacos? You have a breakfast taco business. How did that start? I mean, there's a lot of layers uh, to that answer, but why tacos? Why breakfast tacos? I mean, tacos are one of the best foods in the world, I think. I mean, we... Um, to go way back when I was first like toying with this idea, but it really was coming out in the form of me making breakfast tacos for my ad agency. We started a whole thing. Like every culture has its form of a taco and, or, you know, or every talk, every culture has its form of a dumpling and a taco is technically a dumpling and like all these things. But I think that, you know, it's such a versatile food that, you know, it brings, I think it sparks a lot of passion for people. But for me, why breakfast tacos? I mean, it, I think it's very much about my experience in New York and my experience pre-New York coming together. The confluence of being here and seeing the need for breakfast tacos, not just because like as a genre of food, Tex-Mex is missing, but because as a function, a form of function, <laughs> the breakfast taco is missing. Um, I just needed to, to see what I could make happen. And I think it's the perfect breakfast food. It satisfies so many needs. You can have all kinds of tacos. You can have tacos that like, you know, are drunk food that make you want to like, you know, then go, go to sleep, but you can have tacos that are very much fuel. Um, and the breakfast taco can epitomize that. I think you see a wide spectrum of breakfast tacos and they're all legitimate. <laughs> like they all have a place. So yeah, I mean, 
you know, that's why breakfast tacos, they're just generally the best, um, the best food. But then for me being in New York and seeing the opportunity to do something better than what New Yorkers were currently eating for breakfast is how I ended up here. Well, what I like about it is like, I'm a egg sandwich kind of guy in the morning, but I feel like it's lighter on the carbs. Not like that. I'm trying to watch my weight, but just like you have a bagel egg and cheese sandwich and it's like so heavy. It's like a lot of food. And I think that the tortilla is like the perfect vehicle to get all that stuff in you. Right. Uh, But you're from Austin, Texas, which is how this kind of started, right? Because that's a a thing down there, isn't it? Yes. Yep. So I'm born and raised in Austin and then went to UT. Um, And breakfast tacos are very much a thing. They are the thing. I mean, tacos, Tex-Mex are the thing. And I guess barbecue. But um, it's very hard to find a salad. Not so hard (laughs) anymore. It's not like London where you absolutely cannot find fresh greens. No offense, London. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a thing down there. So it was just in the fabric of my upbringing, um, whether we were making tacos at home or just eating them out. Um, every birthday dinner was at somewhere Tex-Mex. Um, so it's so part of your daily life that like, you know, you when I moved to New York and people tell you there's no Tex-Mex, people say they say these things and you don't really believe it because it's like, how could you just not have something that everybody eats every morning almost in Texas. You know, it doesn't make sense. What makes a perfect breakfast taco? These are, um, are they always flour tortillas? It's like a day. It's like a setup of a question. I mean, no, they are not always flour. I would, I mean, when you talk about Tex-Mex, I feel like you have to understand that flour, I think is, is the core tortilla. This is not Mexican food. This is Tex-Mex. So flour is your, baseline. Corn is always a modifier. Like if you want your tacos on corn, that's like a, how would you describe it? It's like, there's like, I thought it'd be something analogous to like pizza or something, but you know, you, if you order a taco, you're getting flour in Tex-Mex. And if you want it on corn, you have to ask kind of thing. It's like the opposite with like regular tacos uh, up here because that's like American style, right? Like you go to a taqueria right. and they give you on a corn tortilla. And if you if you want it with like shredded lettuce and tomato and ground beef on a flour, they call it like Americano, almost like a dig. Right. Like, okay, you're right. not having real Mexican food. And that's the thing. It's so weird that it's a dig. It's like, well, what if I wasn't making Mexican food? Like I'm not making Mexican food. I'm making Tex-Mex, which like the name – literally is a blend of Texas and Mexican and Texas is America. And you know, there you go. So breakfast tacos should, I think, start on flour tortillas. Um, are there delicious ones on corn? Yes. But what makes a perfect breakfast taco, I think depends on what you're doing that day. Like it depends on if you're going to work. It depends on if you're in the car. It depends. This is like my husband would is such a Liz answer because I'm not going to give you the exact answer. I'm just going to tell you a bunch of different why reasons why everything is different and good. Um, you know, but I think that that's, that's the thing is like, yeah, perfect breakfast taco satisfies your need right then. And that's why there's a, a space for all different kinds. Um, there's a space for Veracruz. There's a space for taco deli. There's a space for us. There's a space for torchies. They're all so different from each other. I can tell you what I like most about like my favorites. What do you like most about your favorite? If you just had a really delicious tortilla, well-cooked eggs and not, not by well, I don't mean well done. I mean like perfectly, you know, nicely cooked eggs um, and a wonderful salsa. That's enough. Like I'm getting hungry thinking about doing that at home 
like no cheese, just the eggs and the <laughs> tortilla and salsa from Taco Shack in Austin would be so good. Yeah, it's kind of like a basic hot dog. Like you can put a whole lot of stuff on it and they're delicious, but also like sometimes a bun, the meat and just like a little mustard on it is all you need, right? Right. Like if you have a great bun on a hot dog or a hamburger, it could be awesome. So yeah, I think I didn't mention that the tortilla does need to be good. Um, obviously the, so, you know, there's a lot of flour tortillas. I would stay away from the ones with a lot of preservatives. I won't name any names, but you just gotta be careful. Like you're, yeah, that, that has a big impact on it. And I think that's why, you know, when I think of good tacos, I default to corn. And it wasn't until I tried making my own flour tortilla that I was like, wow, this is a flour tortilla, you know, because the ones you, you know, the mass marketed ones you buy in every grocery store aren't fantastic. And it was Enrique Olvera's uh, second cookbook. He had a recipe for flour tortillas. And I tried making them. And I and I said to a number of people, like, I made these tortillas. And I think they might even be better than some of the best corn tortillas I ever had. And that was the first time I ever felt like, wow, this is actually a contender. Because I make all my own tortillas at home, whether it be corn and now flour. And um, I had never had a flour tortilla that good before. So let's talk about this business you started how did you start this business? Like, it's tough to start any business. And I think food businesses are notoriously challenging. So why start a breakfast taco business? I don't know. I mean, how did I start it? I just took one step at a time, really. Um, I really, I mean, if I, you know, I don't know how deep you want me to go back, but it's just, I took all of the kind of what I would call corporate steps to starting a business first. I set up all my permits. I set up my entity, all of that kind of stuff, which is what I knew to do. So I did that and then just realized I didn't know how to do anything in a commercial kitchen. So I took a small internship um, with a very uh, nice group of people who taught me a lot about how to operate in a kitchen. And um, I just literally kept putting one foot in front of the other. I tested my recipes. I made my recipes at home and then I tested them after I found a commercial kitchen, I think about, I showed up to the commercial kitchen to like see it and like, you know, see if I could work there. Like I was wearing a pencil skirt. <laughs> Insane. The, the, the person was like, who, who are you? Um, but anyway, when I ended up signing, you know, a contract with them and then started, I tested out my recipes on the, like the tilt skillets and used vertical cutter mixers and like learned how to use all of that. And then um, I just put the product to work. I knew that there was an opportunity within advertising and marketing and kind of corporate New York that they needed better catering. So I um, started selling them tacos and it was a word of mouth game. And that's how I kind of entered, entered the, the food world. I can obviously go into much more but. So you started with catering. Were you just like doing corporate drop-offs, like making them and bringing them to sites and leaving them? Yep. I was making people order a hundred tacos at a time, which I felt like was not too much. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it was in some cases, but it just made sure that, you know, I wasn't paying to bring people tacos. Um, but yeah, it was just making, uh, the tacos the morning of and delivering them, um, to wherever they were going. And it started with me and truly like my sister and actually, you know, you're I'm just with the date we got a, you know, a notification today from Facebook that it's been six years um, since these photos. And it's me, my sister and my husband, like just sweating it out over like our biggest order ever, which was, I think like 
I think it was 300 tacos, which was a lot for us to take on, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) um, Yeah, we were just making them every morning. I was delivering them and then coming back and washing the dishes. And it was very difficult. Um, But that wasn't the like long-term plan. That was just a way for me to really get my bearings in, in the, in working in food. Um, Honestly, I had to do everything to understand how it worked. And um, I knew as soon as, okay, this has some traction, um, we needed to have some kind of customer experience, but I knew that the breakfast business model is different than anyone else. And what I was able to do literally like financially um, was different than being able to just like take out a lease on, you know, even, even if I had found the perfect piece of real estate that, was cheap enough, but well-located enough to make the business model work. Don't, I don't know if it would have been the right thing, but, um, went for the, the mobile direction where we were able to basically take out leases on parks department land and have these little cards that popped up for four hours at a time, sold you tacos and then disappeared. And that was, that was kind of step two. We had two locations, uh, one in prospect park in Brooklyn and one in the financial district in Manhattan. How long after doing the catering did that start? One year and like a couple of months. And how many carts do you have now? We have three, technically two are operating still because one, the financial district has been on pause since COVID. Um, but we have the three cart locations. We opened one in Madison Square Park a couple of years after um, the, the first two. And then um, in between there, we started our retail partner program, which is where we deliver our tacos to coffee shops and cafes every day that they sell. Um, we're in over 80 locations, uh, retail partner locations now. And then we have our own little brick and mortar um, here in Brooklyn uh, that's at the front of our uh, production facility. That's a pretty big jump to go from two carts to now 80 places selling your tacos. How do you scale that? You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is starting a business is really tough, right? But so many people don't know how and when to scale. And did you have that as kind of like a vision all along? Did you have this like, I want to be in all these locations? Or was it kind of incremental? I did have that vision. Did I really like know exactly how it was going to play out and have this perfect game plan and like, step by step, here's what's going to happen in a year. And then this is going to happen. And then I'm going to target this multi-unit group. Like, no, that's not the way it was. It was definitely a little bit more organic, but the plan was always to have those three items going on or three channels going on. We had catering, we had our own retail, and then we had other people's retail and within other people's retail, AKA wholesale, um, you know, there's opportunity for packaged goods and things like that. So that's still on the horizon, but it's like, I mean, the way that we scaled, it was it was always a business model that I built for scale. I always kept it very lean and the product very focused. Like, why not do lunch tacos and dinner tacos and all these other tacos? And it's like, because I needed to keep it pretty modular and I needed to keep it like focused on the morning and we can do the morning better than anyone else. Let's just keep it there. And that way, when we are adding five locations a week, it's like, it's not reinventing the wheel every time. It's just like, here's my four tacos. Here's your menu. Here's how we deliver it. Here's your pants. This is, you know, it's like, did, 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 did. so it, it was built to be scalable from the beginning. But if I, if I said I had, you know, exactly a roadmap, like that's so intimidating. I think for entrepreneurs, they're always like, well, where's your business plan? 
I'm like, you mean like my slides that says like, here's the like ideas. And yeah, there's obviously financial projections and yeah, they've been like pretty, you know, mostly somewhat accurate, but I don't know. I think it, it all was based around a singular strategy and a focused product. And that's how it became scalable. Do any of the places do like cooking on site? How does that work? Like you're in a retail location, like a Whole Foods, like are you bringing product ready to go for them? Are they or do you have people there doing it? What's that look like? You can do it both ways. But for most of our um, partners, we bring product ready to go. So it gets dropped into their holding units um, at temperature. Um, so, you know, a huge part of our business and a core piece of our business is temperature control and back to the eggs. I mean, it's like also quality, it's, it's safety and it's quality. It's everything. Temperature is everything. Time and temperature, my favorite two things. Um, and, uh, yeah, but you can also do it where, you know, we would deliver cold product that would get heated on site. It just depends. It depends on um, the customer and the partner and what their capabilities and what their desire is, honestly, like how motivated they are to, to do it. Yeah, egg holding is really tough. I mean, I've worked in big corporate dining programs Hotels, where, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, where you're putting eggs on a steam table or something. And like anytime you're trying to hold eggs, not a good scenario. I mean, but it's, you know, it's the core of what you do. I'm sure it took a little tinkering to figure out how to do it really well. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> I still have nightmares about a few like early catering deliveries that I'm like, I know those eggs were green and it is painful to remember those times, but that's how I feel like I know egg holding better than anyone. I can like feel a taco and just know um, if it's, if it's right or not. Yeah. Egg holding is its own, is its own animal. And I think that that's, what's surprising to people and also the hurdle we have to overcome because a lot of people have had such bad experience with hot held food that they see something in a warmer they're like it's gonna be nasty and it's like no it can be done correctly it's hard it's definitely that's one of the challenges we have too with having so many retail partners it's like you're entrusting your product to so many other people so that's definitely a challenge but it's it's doable like i said it has to be they have to be motivated to to be selling a good product. But I think that kind of speaks to the success of those locations overall, like not just the success of KDT at their location. Well, what did COVID look like for you? I mean, did it impact your business? I can't imagine it didn't. It seemed to impact everyone. But what's the past couple of years been like? It was rough for different reasons, like every three months, right? Like the first three months of COVID, we actually did great because we pivoted to do these taco drops that are cold packages of breakfast tacos that people heat at home because there was still a need. And I think that there's still, no matter what, like people, even if you are eating breakfast at home and you're not getting it out, like you're not going to make a whole like egg breakfast every single morning. So you need to have an element of convenience, but you do want something, especially at home, like satisfying and, you know, warming and, um, wholesome. And so our tacos fit that need and they help people feel like a little bit like their old life, but at home, like if they were getting our tacos somewhere else, or if they used to order them at their office, they would have them at home. And they, I hear from people all the time now that like, we're like, they'll just randomly, I'll be training someone at a new, you know, retail partner location. And they've, they'll say, you know, I ordered tacos during the pandemic. I'm like, it's still the pandemic, but no, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, and it just made me feel normal. So, you know, thank you. And that's like, 
when I look back at the last two years, those kind of comments make it very much worth it. And so that was the first three months, you know, we were in people's homes. It was great. And then it was like, you know, people started getting out and I think everyone saw like the slump of the summer of 2020 was, was tough. Things changed. It's like there were no people were nowhere. <laughs> like I, it's like they weren't at home, but they also weren't out. Everyone was still scared. It was like a little bit weird. And then the taco trucks were still going, but like you know, our wholesale partners started reopening, but everybody was slow. Catering was completely not a thing because there were no offices or no group gatherings. It was pre vaccines. Um, so I would say that the winter of twenty. 20 to like 20 early 2021 was the darkest period um right before the vaccine and then um we've you know been on the upswing since may 2021 i vividly remember the week the cdc said you don't have to wear masks all the time anymore ever since then it was like wild town i would say since besides like the business downturn the hardest thing is definitely um employees and and health of of your staff and even just managing like emotions around COVID is, is the hardest part. How many people do you have on your staff? 40. Yeah. 40 between operations team, uh, production team, uh, retail attendants and um, drivers. Yeah. And that's not counting our contract drivers, but yeah. So that's all of our actual employees. It's a good chunk of people to have. I know everyone right now is talking about like staffing issues. It's, it's tough out there. That was also the terrible thing about 20 or summer 2021 was it was all of a sudden we had business back, but no one was around. <laughs> there was like, I, in April, 2021, I said out loud and meant it. I was like, is Craigslist broken right now? Like is because why is no one responding to our job postings? Cause usually you get like a flood, right? And there was nothing. So I, right now we're in a much better place. I feel like the market is kind of, leveled out. We, you know, have figured out what to pay people, you know, how, what's going to be motivating in this market, um, which isn't too different from what we were doing pre COVID, but definitely had to like consider new things, whether it's PTO or, you know, more flexible schedules, things like that. But yeah, I think we're in okay. I don't, I'm not going to knock on wood. Um, it's, it's been a lot better. Um, here. I feel like I still do see like signs when I go to other cities, they're like, you know, be patient. We're short staffed today. That hasn't luckily been an issue for us since like fall 2021. Well, and you have one brick and mortar location now, right? Yes. I mean, that seems like a whole different thing. What was the motivating factor behind opening a brick and mortar when, you know, it seems like it would maybe be easier to just work out of your commercial kitchen and, and not deal with that? Yeah, would have been a lot easier. (laughs) No, it's like, I always did want to have some kind of brand presence. I just always, you know, true to like the minimum viable product situation. It's like, I wanted to do it when it made sense, like not just for vanity's sake, right? So we had, we knew we were going to have to build our own production facility. And ideally it would have been in a place that we could have our own retail because if you could sell tacos, like, you know, we don't need... A place that has a bunch of seating because it's all grab and go. We don't need, you know, a a place that has um, a ton of traffic because we're also making our tacos out of here. So it's, you know, it's not like that's only the only revenue coming in. 
So I always was like, when we build our own production facility, we'll just carve out a small chunk. Like we only need a small chunk with a little warmer and a sink <laughs> and we can do what we do everywhere else. So that was the reason for it. It's, it's, it's nice. And it was lucky our, our space here actually, you know, is bigger than just a little window. We have a nice big patio and things, but it just made sense. It was kind of like a why not. Um, and we do try very hard to stick to our guns here, like, you know, not doing made to order tacos. That was a question. And I think some people honestly come here expecting that we would be doing made to order because it's our headquarters, but we don't because we don't, we're not, a, we're a grab and go brand. <laughs> I have grab and go huge on the side of the building. People still are like, why are these made to order? <laughs> My wife and I talk about that all the time about, you know, doing one thing and doing it well. And it's really hard to, I think, maybe not go down the path. You know, I think back to like one of my first jobs was I worked at Boston Market. Do you know Boston Market? Yes, actually. Yeah. They always, I always think about them when I think about my own business. And I'll tell you why later. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Massachusetts and they had a strong presence and I was there when they went from Boston chicken to Boston market, right? So uh -huh. it's like, we're doing chicken, we're doing it really well. And then it's like, now we have turkey, which kind of makes sense. But then you have meatloaf and then you have all this stuff. And it was like, they grow, they add so much product, so yeah. many different things. And then we're just going to expand, 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 expand. And now like what happened to them? I don't know. Did they go bankrupt, get sold? Like something happened, right? Yeah. But they don't even have like a market presence anymore. And, you know, like maybe you should have just stuck with chicken and doing what worked. For sure. And that's that's definitely the approach that we've taken. I mean, it, it's taken a lot of restraint to not try to get into a bunch of my hands in a bunch of different pots. But it's funny you bring up Boston Market because I think about them a lot because I, somewhere in college, someone in some business class, they gave an example that Boston market was selling their meatloaf at a loss and they couldn't like figure out like something was wrong with their PL. I don't know. And then they figured out that they were like, you know, paying people $4 to eat their, their meatloaf. And I'm always like, I don't want to have a Boston market meatloaf. I'm like, where I like, you know, I go into the Costa goods and I'm like praying that there's not some crazy formula that turns out like, you know, I'm selling my, my bacon taco at a loss or something. So yeah, I don't know, but for different reasons. Um, yeah, Boston market made an impression on me. <laughs> and yeah, I think a lot of the, when I started this, especially one of my biggest kind of watch outs was making sure I didn't fall into whatever trap everyone else who had done breakfast tacos before me here had fallen into that didn't work. And I do think that, that some of the trap was just like, if you do breakfast tacos, just do breakfast tacos. Don't like serve it on the side of your like, you know, regular menu or different concept and you also have breakfast tacos it's like you're just going to get distracted and you it's a big enough job to try to get new york to eat them in the first place so you have a background in advertising and marketing right mm -hmm. that yes. must have that must have served you pretty well i mean isn't so i'm sure your tacos are delicious but isn't so much of any business like marketing branding advertising like do you feel yes. that helped your business and get the word out like you maybe gave you an edge up where a lot of businesses have no idea where to start with that kind of stuff. Yes, I do think it did. I would say like if I'm critiquing my own path, like we haven't done as well in marketing and advertising as we could have given my experience. I think because I was so focused on the operation of the business versus marketing. Um, but definitely establishing the brand. Like I said, when I said I took all the steps, like the corporate, like check your boxes, it was like, you know, logo, color palette, like all these things. Like that was very easy for me to, to, to knock off the list from the, from the beginning. And it enabled me to quickly like 
position ourselves for different things, whether it was menus for our retail partners. And it, it gave me, you know, a good customer service experience. It gave me like good business and like team management experience and even just how to handle HR stuff. Like, so the background of in operating the business, it gave me um, a lot of information or, or, or on the job experience. Well, what do you wish you knew before you started your business? Like if you could go back and talk to yourself now, having been in it a few years, anything that like would save you a lot of time and effort if you had just done differently from the start? I wish I had more food science information. I really wish I had like, I don't know what course or what I would have, where I would have found it, but I, I back, back to the eggs. I wish I knew more about that instead of just learning it all by trial and error. And some of those things like just principles of temperature and not to give the impression that like there was any, there was never a food safety issue. It just literally, I could have like cut, not cut corners. I just could have made things easier. Uh, I could have like avoided having overnight shifts. Like there's like things that would have just made my life easier. But that said, doing it the hard way, <laughs> taught me the ins and outs of all of the things that can go wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you're going to have something. Someone always has something they're going to get into. Yeah, I think that food science and then it would have been cool to just have a little bit more money to start. I'm always, I always look back and I'm like, or people are, people, you know, see me and they're like, oh yeah, you're, you know, after this business, would you start another one? And I'm like, hell no. But maybe then I say, hell no, but just maybe I would if I had more money. like having actual capital to start, it would have made things easier. But then I also think like if I did, then I could have fallen into a lot of mistakes that would have just been lazy because I would have not cared as much like, Oh, if this doesn't work out or if this is a waste of money, if I just buy this equipment on a whim, like if I don't search for the best price of this or, you know, whatever, like you just kind of get less disciplined. So there's also pros and cons to that. I'm big into bootstrapping. I mean, I started my business with, you know, just a couple thousand dollars. And that's why I tell people all the time, like getting in the personal chef business, like go buy your china at Ikea or even like Goodwill, you know, like you don't have to have all this stuff. The first step does not be hire a graphic designer to do your logo and get your car wrapped and buy like all this like fancy equipment. It's like go to a store and buy some $15 pots and pans and like just start cooking for people and go from there. Yeah. It makes you have to make decisions and, um, that's, I think important. I think at some point you need like, there's also the the flip side of like, when you don't get capital when you need it and being undercapitalized is also dangerous at some point. Do you have goals? Are you someone who sets goals either short-term or long-term? Yeah, yeah, I think I do, but I don't probably like, again, like I don't like write it down. Then the follow-up is like, what are those? Do you have a plan? Like, is there something that we haven't talked about yet that's on the horizon that you're like kind of working on that's not super secret? It's not super secret, but it's obviously like our, our goal is to go beyond New York. It's to to bring, it always has been from the very first pitch deck, if you will, to bring breakfast tacos to markets that don't have them and doing it in a way that makes sense for that market. Because I think everyone sits around scratching their head like, why don't we have textbooks? Why don't we have breakfast tacos? And it's like, well, because Texas is a unique market and, and also New York is a unique market. And then maybe there's areas of the country that could be a little bit more like, you know, rinse and repeat, but yeah, you have to, I guess, you know, know your audience, know your strategy and do it 
I guess, intermarkets in a way that works for those places. So going beyond New York is definitely on the horizon for us and figuring out a way to do that efficiently is the next, is the next big challenge. I think we, I think we know, but I'm sure we'll learn some things along the way. Um, so the goal is to, you know, have King David tacos be a national brand in the next 10 years. That would be, that would be, uh, sick. I would love that. (laughs) Bring, bring some breakfast tacos to the DC market. DC would, is definitely next. Like that's what I would consider a regional. Um, and it's a, it's a big enough urban market that I think you guys are ready for, um, breakfast tacos and your lifestyle lends itself to the grabbing of breakfast taco. Yeah. Well, the thing I'd say is, you know, the traffic here is atrocious. So what you have to do is get up ridiculously early to get into the city well before your job probably starts. And then you have time to kill. Like, that's what I find. Like, I'll have a early, like an 8 a.m. meeting in D.C. So I have to leave my house at like 530 just to beat the morning rush. And then you're in the city and it's like, well, what am I going to do for the next hour and a half? And I end up just like parking my car somewhere and hanging out. It's like having a place where you could get a breakfast taco would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think we can do that. And like, you know, in Philadelphia, um, I think Chicago would be a great one for us. But then, you know, it is a question of how do you do that in places that do have less density or don't have such like a concentrated rush hour in the mornings. But, you know, back to the taco drop thing and having KDT in your home, um, that's very much within our wheelhouse. So it might be that, you know, you have these kind of more dense urban cities that you can do King David tacos at retail partners at coffee shops and cafes. And then for the people in Nebraska, you know, you can find KDT in your frozen aisle. (laughs) Well, I love when people share resources. So I always ask, do you have any resources that you love? And this could be a book, an app, a course you've taken, like something that's helped you in your business. Do you know who has been a major, it goes, this like food science element of my business, um, uh, Serious Eats and Kenji Lopez-Alt, right? Did I get him? Yeah, you got Yes, I did it right. Okay. J. J Kenji Lopez-Alt. I was like, I see it on the front of my cookbook every day and I like haven't, I don't say it out loud ever. So uh, Daniel Gritzer, who is the current culinary director, has been on my podcast. We have a three hour, we did a three hour podcast together because I just wanted him to come and nerd out about food science. And we sat on a Sunday night and we talked, I broke it up into two episodes and we talked from like eight to midnight one night on Zoom and just recorded this because I just wanted to nerd out. You know, we talk about olive oil and polyphenols and like all this like real nerd stuff. I'm like, this is the one for the food nerds. Um, I got to I'd love to get Kenji on the show. He's, you know, got so much going on now with his new walk cookbook and everything. Yeah, really good. That's one of my favorite resources is Serious Eats. Yeah, when I had to get educated on something like, you know, we just um, even though we are very focused on breakfast tacos, we introduced happy hour at our location just three days a week using all of the same stuff we already make. But the one thing we needed to add was rice. And I was like, you know, I do not understand rice. <laughs> I really, I don't understand rice. And I went to Serious Seats and read all about it and then went downstairs. We got a rice recipe together in two tries. So it was, um, it was good. They're, they're very helpful. Well, I'm always talking Serious Seats. Um, what do you hope to give to the culinary industry or the food industry? Is there anything that you think on a kind of a higher level you can share? I guess if I was to say what I hope my, my impact is, if there is an impact, it's kind of twofold. One, 
not take yourself so seriously. Like, you know, not be afraid of hot holding some eggs <laughs> and saying like this, you know, can be delicious. And it's not so much about like, is this what you expected? But is it about, is, is this delicious? And do you like it? And I know, and you know, and there is a place for food that is um, nutritious, fulfilling, wholesome and maybe like wrapped in a foil and everybody can be okay with that. It doesn't need to be looked down upon. So, and that's for grabbing go food in general. I think that it can be done well. So, um, you know, not to take food so seriously in the sense that you feel like you're you know, in a cool contest. The other part would just be to like this, a great conventions. I feel like I talked to one guy who we worked with. It's too long of a story to get into, but we worked with him in a totally different capacity, but he is a chef. And I asked him, I was like, so what do you, what do you think? Like, he's a renowned chef. And I was, he was like, well, he's like, I, if someone had asked me if this could, was possible, I would have said absolutely never. We were working with him on construction, something. So he wasn't even in food, but I was like, I'm curious. I'm like, you've seen our operation. Like, what do you think is going on? He was like, I just never thought it was possible to hold an egg like this. You know, I said, I've talked about tacos on the show before. Like, that's kind of like all I really want to eat. I I never worked in super fine dining. Like, I've never worked in a Michelin restaurant. You know, I find some of that stuff interesting. I like to go to nice restaurants. But at the end of the day, like, Texas food is what I want. Like, I want tacos and barbecue. Like, I joke that we like we went to Texas just so we could eat barbecues and ta- barbecue and tacos. You know, and I'd much rather go get like a couple four or five dollar tacos than drop like three hundred dollars on a, you know, ten course yeah. meal somewhere. And yeah. I think a lot of people are kind of seeing the light on that. Not that fine dining's dying or ever gonna completely go away, but I think there's a time and a place for yeah, it. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I mean I went I went to Eleven Medicine Park before they went vegan. We got, you know, in off the wait list a few years ago for my birthday and it was delicious. It was, I was like fascinated by the, it was true art, you know, people moving around the room was artful. Like everything was artful, but I ate a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos afterwards. And that's not a knock on them. It's just like, that's not like a meal that I can have all the time, you know, but it was awesome what they, what they accomplished. That just being the pinnacle of food is I think maybe what needs everybody needs there needs to be pinnacles in different areas <laughs> well if you look at um you know we just had the james beard awards last week yeah. and best chef mid-atlantic a, a mexican restaurant in philadelphia selling tacos yeah uh, south, philly, south philly barbacoa so you know that that's kind of the thing i like to see where it's like we're not just getting these super fancy restaurants it's like if the best chef is you know a woman selling tacos out of a small restaurant in philly i think that's a step in the right direction Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you dropping in and spending some time with us today. For sure. It was fun. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Thanks so much and have a great day. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community is free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.